This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of Integration and Guidance by Richard Rohr. When I was a young man, I liked ideas and books quite a lot, and I still read a great deal. But each time I come back from a long hermitage retreat, I have no desire to read a book for the next few weeks or even months. For a while, I know there is nothing in any book that is going to be better, more truthful, or more solid than what I've just experienced on the cellular heart and soul level. If you ask me what it is I know, I would be hard-pressed to tell you. All I know is that there is a deep okayness to life, despite all the contradictions, which has become even more evident in the silence. Even when much is terrible, seemingly contradictory, unjust, and inconsistent, somehow sadness and joy are able to coexist at the same time. The negative value of things no longer cancels out the positive, nor does the positive deny the negative. Whatever your personal calling or your delivery system for the world, it must be preceded from a foundational yes to life. Your necessary no to injustice in all forms of unlove will actually become even clearer and more urgent in the silence. But now your work has a chance of being God's pure healing instead of impure anger and agenda. You can feel the difference in people who are working for causes. So many works of social justice have been undone by people who do all the fighting from their small or angry selves. If your prayer goes deep, your whole view of the world will change from fear and reaction to deep and positive connection because you don't live inside a fragile and encapsulated self anymore. In meditation, you are moving from ego consciousness to soul awareness, from being driven by negative motivations to being drawn from a positive source within. A reading from scripture from Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. The voice of my beloved, look, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew chapter 11, a few select verses. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. For the Word of God in Scripture, for the Word of God among us, for the Word of God within us. So I learned a new, or played a new yard game over the holiday weekend. I'm a fan of yard games. This one was called Spike Ball. Has anyone ever played Spike Ball? No. Anyone ever heard of it? Okay, a couple of folks have heard of it. All right, so Spike Ball uh, involves a ball. You're tracking so far. About this size. And a trampoline about maybe the size of this tabletop, but it's low to the ground, you know, maybe six inches off the ground. So it's this little trampoline, a ball, and two teams of two players each, so it's two against two, and it's sort of like volleyball, and then you're hitting the ball off the trampoline, and it goes to your opponent, and then can pass it to a teammate a couple of times, like volleyball, but then the third hit has to be returned back to the other team. Well, unlike volleyball, where there's a net and there's two sides, and one team's on one side, one team's on the other side, in spike ball, there's no line, there's no sides. You can play anywhere around the circle around the side. So there's no in or out. It's simply keeping the ball alive and serving it to the other team. So it can be a little crazy at first because your mind is like, well, where do I hit it and where should I stand? And wait, who's on my team again? And where should I go next? And it's a little crazy that way. And I think as I played this and as I thought about it, it reminded me of what it's like trying to be a follower of Jesus today, or trying to be a person of compassion or a person of goodwill. So many things going on in our world, aren't there? Where do I stand? Where am I supposed to be right now? Do I take this one and just hit it directly, or do I pass this off to a teammate, and maybe they can make the next move? Right? So many things going on in our world whether we're thinking about care of the earth and the changing climate, whether we're thinking about immigration policies, whether we're thinking about violence against women and minorities, we're thinking about war. We could go on and on and on, right? Where do I stand? Where do I take a stand? When is it my move? And so sometimes the life of faith is like that. We're not sure where to turn, where to stand, or how to be. And as a Christian, I think I and many of us want to know, how do I do that as a follower of Jesus? How do I do that as someone who looks at the life of Jesus and wants to be empowered, inspired by that? 
Well, there was a time in my life where I thought if I studied enough, I'd have the answers to these questions. If I'd studied enough, I'd know exactly who Jesus was, I know exactly what his teachings were and how he wants me to live today. I'd know the cultural context, I'd know the original languages that he spoke, and I'd you know, know the socioeconomic, political realities, and I'd have it figured out. So I went to seminary, studied Hebrew and Greek, and after seminary, went to the library and got all the books I could on biblical scholarship, and when I read all of those, I got to my interlibrary loan, and I was just like, I gotta figure it out. Gotta figure it out. But then, at some point, you realize that that's a bottomless, endless pursuit that doesn't have an end. We'll never know exactly the answers to all of those questions. In fact, even if we could time travel, right, that wouldn't even help because we don't speak the language and we don't know the cultural references and all of that. And we know that the disciples, who were Jesus' contemporaries, right, lived in that culture, spoke the language, lived and slept and ate with him, and they sometimes had no idea what he was talking about. So at some point, I kind of realized, just put that on pause. No, I think there's value in it. So don't, don't hear me say there's not absolutely value in it. In Jesus' day, there were scribes and rabbis who were experts in studying the Torah. And many of them had uh, a desire, maybe even a preoccupation, also with living a perfect life before God. How do I live the most faithfully before God? How do we figure out just exactly what God was saying to Moses as he handed the Torah and gave all these commands about how to live? How do we do that exactly right? How do we do that the best way? And so it was desire. It was fueled by a desire to please God. In fact, there was such a desire to obey God and not disobey God that occasionally there were commands created around the commands that God had given. Well, we know God says don't do this, but case we get a little too close to that, let's make this other command that's a little bit wider to keep me from ever getting even close to the thing that God said we shouldn't do. That was called fencing the Torah, right? Creating this larger safety net so that we don't actually take a step in the wrong direction. But that began to be complicated, challenging, and difficult for many folks as things got more and more detailed. Well, a particular rabbi's teaching or interpretation, way of interpreting the Torah, was called their yoke. Their yoke. That was their way of, uh, a term they used to explain their approach to scripture and to living life before God. And a yoke, of course, comes from agricultural terminology, right? An animal, an ox or a donkey or something, you'd put a heavy collar or something and would pull a farming implement behind you. And so it's something that's restrictive, but it also is a tool and it's useful because as the animal is pulling that thing along, you can look behind it and work is happening, right? Things are being done as it's moving forward with that yoke on it. So I think the same idea happened with following a certain set of teachings or a certain understanding of what God wants for us in Scripture. That it's a constraint in one way, but yet it provides us direction and it's a, it's a guidance so that as we walk in that yoke, we look behind us and say, oh wow, my life is being changed or the world is being changed 
for the better. And of course, a yoke implies something challenging, right? Something that's hard, and often it would be a heavy metal thing that's being pulled, right? So the very imagery is challenging. But along comes this teacher who says a radical thing. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Well, how is that possible? That seems like contradictory. And then Jesus also says that, that at some level this is hidden from the wise and the learned, but revealed to children or even infants. And I wonder if he's hinting at we can get so complicated, so wrapped up in doing everything exactly right and making you know wider and wider things to make sure we don't do the wrong thing all the time that we almost become frozen. We almost miss the intent of God's life for us. And so I don't think Jesus is making an anti-intellectual statement here that God has hidden certain things from the wise and the learned because I think God wants us to use our minds and has given us capabilities that he wants us, she wants us to use. But I think he's pointing to the deep simplicity of his message. The deep simplicity of the life that God wants us to live. So children, if you think about our infants even, as our text says, life is not complicated, right? They live in the present moment. If a baby's hungry, it cries out. If it's in a good mood, it giggles. If it needs to use a bathroom, it just uses the bathroom, right? Does it have to make plans or go to a certain place? Sounds kind of nice, right? I hear one day we'll get back there, so... Let's not rush that. A few chapters later in the Gospel of Matthew, a, an expert, one of these experts in the Torah, comes to Jesus and, and it says to test him, it says, teacher or rabbi, which, how do you read it? Which command is the greatest command? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and the greatest command. And a second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on these two things hangs all the law, all the Torah and the prophets. There was everything that Moses did. And all these things you've heard about, all these complications and all these 613 commands can all be distilled to these two simple things, love God and love your neighbor. And everything else that hangs from that or is a derivative from those two simple things. Those two simple things. So simple, easy, and basic yet infinitely deep and unending in our pursuit of living it. So easy on the one hand, right? But all still challenging and difficult to live into in our lives. We have some idea of what he's talking about in practice. Loving God and loving neighbor doesn't have a lot of specifics to it, but earlier in the same chapter, some of John the Baptist's disciples, John sends a few of his disciples, go and ask... Are you the one to come? Or are we waiting for somebody else? And Jesus says, tell John what you see and what you hear. The lame walk, the blind have sight, the lepers are cleansed. The poor have good news preached to them. In other words, he's living out that simple message of loving God and loving neighbor, and particularly caring for those who are on the margins, those who are on the edge of society, those whom... A society based on power and having 
really don't care about and leave aside. And we see Jesus centering on that in his living out, loving God and loving neighbor. And I think all of this, Jesus' invitation, when he says, come to me and I will give you rest, it is restful because it's all grounded in God's love for us. God's love for us. Because God accepts us. God delights in us. God welcomes us. There's nothing we need to do to earn that love, to earn that favor. We simply are God's children, and she loves us as such. As a parent loves a child without the child having to do anything to earn that. That is God's stance toward us, simply love. And there's power in that. There's rest in that. There's relief in that. There's life in that. And if we're grounded in that surety that God loves us and welcomes us and embraces us, that prepares us for the challenges that will come. And Jesus notes there will be critics along the way who say you're doing it wrong, you're not doing it enough, or you're not doing it the right way. Right? He says John the Baptist, he was out in the desert, he wasn't eating or drinking, he was living this ascetic life, living off the land, so to speak, kind of a really holy, kind of monastic kind of life. And you think, in his day and culture, people say, why would a holy person? But they said, no, this guy's crazy. He's got a demon. And Jesus says, the Son of Man comes and does things a little differently. I eat meat, he's saying. You know, he speaks of himself occasionally in third person. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, this guy's a glutton. He's a drunk. He's a friend of sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. So he's saying, whether you're doing it one way or the other, there's always going to be people who say, it's not right or it's not enough. A few years back, uh, there was a friend of mine from in my earlier evangelical days, and uh, I had posted a photo of, a, I think, a beer that I was drinking. It was out probably at a pub theology gathering, and apparently she went through my photos uh, on my profile on Facebook, and, and she commented, you know, you have more pictures of beer than of your children. That is so inappropriate. And what kind of a human being are you that you post more pictures of beer than of your children? This is a true story. I mean, she wasn't wrong. She wasn't wrong. But I didn't know her very, you know, even when I knew her like some dozen years earlier, I didn't know her that well, and she didn't really know me that well. Right? But, you know, when, I, when my Instagram account is titled Pub Theologian, you know, when I blog under the title Pub Theology, you can't be that surprised that I'll post pictures of beer now and again. You know, and if she maybe knew me a little better, she'd know that part of my ministry or what I'm involved in is gathering people together in safe spaces. And we have a beverage or a beer and occasionally take pictures of it. <laughs> and Jesus too, right? He's out spending time with people where they are. And people say, oh, that's, that's not appropriate. That's not good enough. So there's always going to be critics, and sometimes we need to hear the criticism, and there's something truthful in it. But we also need to have our own grounding and identity in God. And that God loves us, God accepts us, God welcomes us, even if we post too many beer pictures. 
right? I hope. I hope that's true, or I'm in trouble. And Jesus says, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds, right? Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And so how refreshing for us to know that with God we are always welcome, always loved, we always belong. There is deep rest in that. And Jesus then invites us out of that to take up his yoke. To take that love that God has for us and reciprocate that love back to God and back to every human being that God gives us the privilege and the opportunity to connect with, to get to know, to influence. And there will be hard work, right, in following Jesus. It's not simple. It's not, it is simple, but it's not easy. It's hard. And Jesus also says, it may cost you something to follow me and to walk in my path. And yet he invites us to do it in such a way that our souls are at rest, even as we do it. Right? I liked how Richard Rohr framed it. How did he say it? He says, if your prayer goes deep, right, we're acting out of God's deep healing and God's energy and God's love and not our own often flawed motivations. And so the way of Jesus is a way of rest. And I don't know about you, but it's easy to feel tired today. And by today, I mean these days. Easy to feel worn out. Easy to wonder, am I standing in the right place? Am I taking the right action? Am I doing the right things? As we close, hear again these words of Jesus. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. And namaste. Now as you go from this place, perhaps wearied by the world, may you go renewed, knowing the one who invites us, whose burden is easy and light. And I have for us a blessing from the Isle of Ion. So as you go, may God be a bright flame before you, a guiding star above you, a smooth path below you, and a kindly shepherd behind you today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. Go in peace. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.